1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, it says this. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, God, um, that we have the wonderful opportunity to get to gather together as your church and just crack open the scriptures and just say, hey, what do you want to teach us today, Lord? And I pray that that's exactly what we do for the next few moments, that we're not trying to make the word say what you want us to say, or sorry, we're not trying to make the word say what we want to say, but rather we make it say what you want to say, that we would be humbled before it, recognizing the authority behind it, that we might better align ourselves and the church to what you have it to be. That way, when the world looks on the church, it sees a beacon of light piercing through the darkness. Or it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. All right, quick question before we get going. How many of you have ever had a bad boss? <laughs> you know, I had the same reaction in the first service. It's almost like it's universal, uh, this idea of having bad bosses. Mine was my very first job. I worked at a movie theater, and my job was to clean up the theaters and the bathrooms and help run concessions. So if you're one of those people that dumps all of your popcorn on the ground, thank you very much. I'm the one that cleaned it up. Um, it was not a glamorous job, but I got to see all of the movies before anyone else did. Like we had to, we got a chance to watch them on Thursday night before they released on Friday. So, you know, there's perks to the job. Anyways, it wasn't a bad job. I, I enjoyed going there. I worked there um, right after high school, uh, throughout college. And uh, it wasn't too bad. However, there was this one girl uh, who was working with us. And uh, a supervisor position job came, a supervisor job position came open and she wanted to be in that job, like desperately wanted to be in that job. And so eventually they gave her the job. And I tell you, overnight, she went from being our coworker to being a domineering boss. Like she came in, uh, we were no longer co-workers to her, we were her employees. And she said that, we were her employees. I'm like, five seconds ago, you were scrubbing these bathrooms with me. What are you talking about? She would come in like that. She would be domineering. She'd be rude. She would give us pointless tasks just to assert her dominance over us. And, and it was just, it, it was interesting. Overnight, my job went from being, um, you know, somewhat pleasant to do to no one wanted to be there anymore. No one enjoyed working there uh, because the supervisor that we now had over us. Now contrast that after college, I uh, worked for a year or so at Best Buy here in Lake Worth. And uh, one of my supervisors that was over me over there um, was just such a great guy. Man, salt of the earth guy. One of those guys that you just wanted to be around. He actually ended up going on to be a pastor, which is fitting. Uh, but contrast my previous one with him, uh, he would constantly check in on me. 
He would like pull me aside and say, you know, see, you know, how are things going? How are you adapting to the job? You know, where can we help you? He would point out where things were going well. Uh, he even like talked to me about like, hey, like, like what's your aspirations? Like, uh, are you interested in moving up in the company in career and like, you know, working through a track to get through that? I got the feeling when talking to him that he did not view me as an employee to do his bidding. He rather viewed me as a person whom uh, he can make flourish into everything that, that he knew that I could be. And it just kind of blew my mind that, that whoever was over me had a significant impact on how I did my job. That if it was someone who did their job well, understood their responsibilities well, and cared for the employees, then they were like the tide that rose all the ships up and everyone did their job well and was productive and efficient and, and was happy. But if the supervisor, if the boss did not do their job well, didn't care about their employees and just cared about having power, they sucked the tide out. Now everyone was sluggish and stuck and, and self-focused. I realized that the team reflected the leadership that's in place. Has everyone experienced this? Yeah? We've all felt this, and, and we can even look throughout all history, and we can see businesses and organizations that this has played out, that either good CEOs or bad CEOs either sink or swim uh, the company. We can even see this in the Old Testament with Israel, that when Israel was having their kings, that if the Israel was a good king, Israel would flourish. And if Israel had a bad king, then it would flounder. Whether or not a leader or a supervisor or a boss did their job well determine whether or not the business or the organization would flourish or suffer. And the same is true in churches. When Jesus uh, ascended and the gospel started to go out through all the land, um, they went from town to town to town and people would get saved. And, and as these people would get saved, they started to form together local churches. And, and now the, the question was, how do we take a lot of uh, random people from different backgrounds and races and interests and how do we unify them together? So God gave guidelines on, on the leaders that are supposed to go over these churches and the leader's job was to unify these random people together into the local body of Christ. And, and I'm sure you've experienced and see that, that the same that's true in the business world is the same that's true in the church world, that, that if you have a leader who understands their role and does it well, the church flourishes. And if the leader doesn't understand the role and doesn't do it well, then the church suffers. But what that does is that begs the question is, what is the purpose of pastors and leaders? What has God called them to even do? And that's the question I want to ask today. That's the question I want to answer today is biblically speaking, what has God called pastors and leaders to do in his church? Now, I know this is a relatively obscure specific topic. And the, the reason that I want to get into the weeds on it is because this month is Pastor Appreciation Month, if you don't know. This month uh, is where churches all around the world gather together to honor and show appreciation to the pastors and the leaders in their church. And I think that's a good thing to do. And I don't think that's a good thing to do because I want you to shower me with praise. You can ask my wife. I don't like being showered with praise. Please don't do that. I don't think it's good to, um, or I think it's good to show honor and appreciate our pastors and leaders, not because I want you to, but because the Bible wants you to. Like if we pull back up that verse from earlier in 1 Timothy, 
It says this, the elders, and, and just in case you're confused on that word, um, different churches use different lingo surrounding this. Um, in all intents and purposes, uh, just think leaders right there. Like some use elders, some use bishops, some use overseers, we use pastors. So um, the, the elders, leaders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So God is calling us to show honor and appreciation to those whom he has placed in leadership over the church. Now, here's the kicker. It's hard to honor and appreciate what you don't understand. It's hard to appreciate um, exactly what pastors and leaders are doing if you don't have a full understanding of what pastors and leaders even do. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to... to um, Look at the Bible and present to you, biblically speaking, what is the role that God has called pastors and leaders to in the church? And then here's some application for you. I want to give you some ideas on how you can show appreciation and honor to the pastors and leaders in regards to those roles. Now, don't worry. I'm not asking anyone to give me a Tesla, but you can if you want. Um, no, the, the way, the suggestions I'm going to give you on showing appreciation has nothing to do with gifts. Please don't give me gifts. I don't want them. Um, what it all has to do with is recognizing the role that the pastor has to play and then finding ways to honor and partner with the pastor in that role. That's what I want to present to you today. Okay, make sense? Okay, all right, we're going to get through it. Okay, three roles that God has called pastors and leaders to fulfill in his church. The first one is this. God has called pastors and leaders to shepherd the flock. He's called them to shepherd the flock. First Peter 5 verse 1 says this. Peter's writing, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So we see right there in verse two, the very first or the main role that pastors and leaders are called to do is to shepherd God's flock among them. That Greek word there, shepherd, is poimen, which also means pastor. So in the Greek, shepherd and pastor are synonymous with each other. And so it's fitting that, that we call them pastors because literally speaking, they're shepherds. They're shepherding the flock that God, has come, that God has given them. Now, to get a full broad picture of what that even means, we have to scale it way up and get about 10,000 foot um, vantage point over it. So if you go way back to the, the big C church, the capital C church, that's every Christian in the world is the capital C church. And the pastor, the head of that church, the shepherd of that church is Jesus. If you look in verse four, it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, they're referring to Jesus in that moment. The chief shepherd over all the capital C church is Jesus. Now, like I mentioned earlier, within this capital C church, there are little C churches, the local church, the local representation of the body of Christ, like right here, First Baptist Azel. And what God does is, he employs what some call under-shepherds 
to be over that church. I like to call them assistant shepherds or assistant to the shepherd. Um, so God has employed under shepherds. Uh, and the reason they're called that is because the under shepherds actually aren't in charge. Pastor Lee's not actually the one in charge of First Baptist Azel. Who is in charge is the chief shepherd, Jesus. And so what that means is, is that when pastors and leaders are called to shepherd the church, our job isn't to try to form the church into what we think it should be. Our job is to form the church into what God thinks it should be. And so like everything that we teach, every decision that we make, every move that we make as we go from point A to point B, it should be bathed in prayer trying to figure out where does the chief shepherd want us to go? We're just managers for the chief shepherd and figuring out where it should go. Now, as we operate as under shepherds to the chief shepherd, there's decisions that have to be made, right? We have to figure out where's the flock going to go from here to here. How are we going to get there? How are we going to be, how are we going to guide the flock? How are we going to um, make sure the flock gets fed uh, correctly on the way there? And in doing all of that, there's like a million decisions that have to be made. I don't know if y'all realize exactly how many decisions have to be made behind the scenes here. And so a lot of them are, are very like clear-cut decisions. Like you look to the Bible, the Bible says do X, Y, and Z if this happens. And man, it's just super easy. But there's a lot of decisions, if y'all don't realize, that aren't so clear. There's no biblical mandate on some of those decisions. There's like principles that we can apply, but there's not necessarily a wrong decision, biblically speaking. There's just where, where do we th uh, think God is leading the church? And, and those decisions are where it gets a little bit gray, but a decision has to be made. For example, uh, let's think about COVID. You remember COVID? That was such a fun time, right? That was a time where our nation collectively had a panic attack together. And um, in the midst of this collective panic attack, pastors and leaders were called to make decisions that they have never thought about in their entire life. And there's no biblical mandate to any of them. And then in the midst of that, fun fact, whatever decision you make, half the people are going to be mad at you. That time took a toll on pastors. Like, like surveys and studies are showing us that it took a toll on pastors. Barna, which is a research group, did a survey in 2021 when COVID was starting to wane. And they asked pastors, how many of you have seriously considered quitting full-time ministry altogether in the past year? And they found that 29% of pastors were considering quitting full-time ministry. Just one year later in 2022, that number jumped from 29% to 42%. That means four out of every 10 pastors seriously considered not just quitting their job, quitting the ministry altogether and just saying, I'm done, I'm out. Now they asked these pastors, what factors are contributing to this? And, and this is what they said. They asked them what factors contributed to them wanting to quit? Uh, the number one was 56% said that it was because of the immense stress of the job that caused them to want to quit. 43% said that they feel lonely and isolated. 38% said that's because of the per current political divisions. And here's a sad one. Are you ready? 29% said that they're unhappy with the effect the role has had on their families. 
I don't know if y'all fully realize the heaviness that can come up with the job of pastor and leader in the church. I think Peter understood. Uh, Peter was an elder in his church and a leader in his church. And, and I think that's why he wrote this. If you throw that back up there uh, in verse two, Peter says, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. I think Peter, being a leader in his church, knew the heaviness and knew the messiness of leading the church. I don't know if y'all realize this, but for those who work in the church, their work life, their personal life, and their church life are all mixed together. They're not separated. And while having all of those mixed together, they have to be the ones to make decisions and lead those. There's a heaviness and a messiness that comes with that. And, and what Peter is saying here is that there's going to be a great temptation to allow that stress to weigh you down so much that you don't even like the job anymore, that you don't even want to do it anymore. But to, to resist that temptation and do it willingly, do it joyfully, as we're about to see here in just a minute. Now, now here's where you can come and partner with pastors and leaders in this moment. Here's how you can show your appreciation this month. If it's the pastor's and leader's job to shepherd the flock you can show appreciation and partner by praying for them. Praying for their families, that their jobs don't negatively impact their family. Pray for the stress level, that the weight of responsibility on their shoulders isn't burdening them so much that they just want to quit. Pray that while they're the leaders of the church, they're also part of the church and need community within the church so that way they don't feel isolated and lonely. Pray that as they make decisions, that they will seek out God's will, partner with them. That's, that's one of the, the best ways you can show your appreciation is to pray for the pastors and leaders in charge. So that's the first role that God has for uh, pastors and leaders to shepherd the flock. The second role that God has called them to is to watch over the flock. They're called to watch over the flock. Shepherds will not just have to feed the flock and to guide the flock and get them from point A to point B, but at times they're going to have to protect the flock from, from out, uh, external source, uh, threats like, like, um, like wolves or thieves. And sometimes they may even have to protect sheep from themselves, Right? Like, like, if you don't know what I mean by that, here's a quick video to, to kind of wrap your mind around it. So we got a sheep that's stuck. Poor sheep. Oh, let's try to get him out. All right. Almost there. Almost there. Oh, oh. Good guy, man. Good job. All right. Go free. Go free. Oh, oh. Oh. <laughs> How many of y'all feel that way? Right? I can't take credit for that video. Jacob Belding, our connection minister, shows that video at every single membership class. So some of y'all maybe have seen it uh, to illustrate this point. Sometimes shepherds, pastors, not just have to protect their flock from external threats, but from themselves, right? Called to watch over them. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. 
so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Now I get it. Obey, submit. We don't like that. We don't like America. We don't like that. We'll get to it. Don't worry. I want to focus on the second part of that first. Let's skip over obey and submit for a second. The second part, since they, leaders, keep watch over your souls. So Jesus, the chief shepherd over the whole church, has entrusted part of his flock to the under shepherds. And he tells the under shepherds, hey, y'all are the watchmen, y'all are the guardians of these sheep that I'm entrusting to you. So for us here, First Baptist Azel, Jesus, the chief shepherd is saying, hey, here's four or 500 of my sheep. Watch over them. Be a guardian of them. Now, here's the heavy part, right? Since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Y'all realize the heaviness of that verse? Y'all think this verse, y'all think the hard part is to obey your leaders and submit to them? The hard part of this verse is you're going to give an account. The hard part of this verse, the sobering reality of this verse is that for those who are pastors and leaders, we will have to stand before God one day and give an account for how we shepherded and watched over the flock that God has entrusted to us. And that's a heaviness and that's a responsibility that goes way beyond preaching a sermon on Sunday morning. That goes way beyond running a program for kids on Wednesday night, for students on Wednesday night. That's, that's counseling. That's uh, hospital visits. That's receiving phone calls in the middle of the night. That's praying fervently for the well-being of the church. That's having conversations, hard conversations that you don't want to have, but they're issues that need to be addressed so you have them. That's looking at what we teach, not trying to figure out what we want to say, but, but fervently trying to figure out what God wants us to say because we're held to a higher standard because we're preaching God's word. There's a heaviness and a responsibility that comes with watching the flock that God has given us and having to give an account for that. But while there's a heaviness of that on pastors and leaders, there's a great benefit to you in that. That's what the passage says. Obey your leaders, submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. So this verse is saying that it's actually to your great benefit that you have someone watch over you. But I, I get, we don't always like that. We, we don't like authority. America doesn't like authority, and I get that. But even though at times it doesn't feel like it's to our benefit, the Bible says it is to our benefit. Here's an example. Um, uh, about a month ago, my family and I went to Disney World and we had lots of fun. Uh, like night three or four, somewhere around there, um, it was late. Uh, it was way past the kids' bedtime. Do you all know, like with kids, like um, they get like tired and then there's a point in the tiredness that they get past tired and move into crazy land. Like y'all know that? That's where my kids were, right there, crazy land. And so we were at the hotel um, cafeteria trying to eat because it's past their bedtime. We're trying to get them fed into bed so that way we can get up and do it tomorrow. And one of the employees right in the midst of this walks over with a giant ice cream sundae, <laughs> sets it right in the middle of the table and says, hey guys, do y'all want a free ice cream sundae? Someone ordered this and then decided not to want it. And I'm looking at this guy thinking, what is wrong with you? 
Like, clearly this guy's not a parent. Like, what is wrong with you, man? You see that we're, it's late. You see we're trying to feed our kids and trying to get them out of here and you come throw a grenade right in the middle of it. And so, so we quickly, like, no, get out. What's wrong with you? Um, we get him away as quick as we can before the, the kids catch on to what's going on. But I imagine, my kids handled it well. But I imagine in that moment, my daughter Lottie did not appreciate having someone watch over her. But she wouldn't realize that I sent that ice cream away for her benefit. And a little bit mine, but, but mainly hers. Because she wouldn't realize that she's tired, and if we throw a bunch of sugar on top of that, she's going to get amped up, eventually uh, have a sugar crash, and she's going to be even more tired tomorrow, and then she won't be able to enjoy those parks. And so in that moment, it's actually to her great benefit that she has someone whose full-time job it is to watch over her and to guide her and to help her walk down that path of life. And the Bible says that we have that same benefit that the same is true for us, that you need to find leadership who you trust, who takes seriously the word of God, who takes seriously the, the call to watch over the flock. The Bible says, find those leaders and um, trust your spiritual well-being over to them. And may I go far enough that the Bible says to submit and obey them. Now, obviously, Submit and obey doesn't mean submit to sin. Obviously, doesn't mean submit to sin. We're under shepherds, not chief shepherds. We make mistakes. And in fact, the Bible, when it talks about submission, whether it be in uh, marriage or uh, parenting or the church, submission is never about blindly following. Submission isn't about blindly following. Submission is about trusting the leadership uh, who you're submitting to. But we don't like submitting, right? America, First Amendment. This isn't England. We don't like submitting. America's not a culture of submitting. What America is a culture of is complaining. Y'all realize that? We have 15 news networks dedicated to complaining and to amping you up to complain. No matter who's in office, no matter what decision's being made, half the country is upset about what's going on and complains about it. Our social media is filled with it. It just gives us a funnel to do it. We complain about the leadership of the country. We complain about the leadership of the state. We complain about the leadership of the city. We complain about the leadership of the schools. And if we're not careful, that, that mindset of complaining can drip its way and work its way down into the church. And instead of the church having a culture of trust in the leadership and honor of the leadership, the church can quickly move into a culture of complaining to the leadership. And I hope you'd realize today that that's not what God has for his church. And so if you want to partner with the pastors and leadership of this church, if you want to show appreciation in regards to their role of watching over the flock, here's how you can do so. Don't complain. It's simple. Don't complain. You don't have to share everything that you disagree with. You don't have to share everything that's going wrong. We probably already know anyways. In fact, Philippians 2.14 says this. It says, do everything without complaining or grumbling. Now, don't get me wrong. Y'all are actually pretty good about this. Yeah, yeah, y'all don't complain a whole lot. But at this point, you might say, Chris, aren't there times that I need to complain? Aren't there times that I need to share a grievance? And sure, let, let, let's, 
Let's just grant that. There's times that you need to, to share a complaint. Let's figure out exactly how, how often that should be. Once a week? Does that sound like too often? Once a week? Maybe a little bit too often. Maybe you can just have a standing appointment with Pastor Lee just to share your, your complaint of the week. That seems too often. How about once a month? Once a month? Okay, I think we're getting a little bit closer. Let's just say once a year. Surely, surely you'll be able to have the ability to complain once a year, right? Well, let's just blow that out and put it in perspective for you. On an average Sunday, we have over 365 people, adults, who come through this church. Let's say we were to grant every single one of those adults you can complain once a year. Do you realize Pastor Lee would hear a complaint literally every single day of the year? On leap years, he'll hear twice in one day. Won't even get holidays off. Do you see how that puts it into perspective? I mean, I'm only complaining once a year, but you're just one person among hundreds. And so if you want to show appreciation, then, then maybe, maybe try trusting leadership and not complaining to leadership. Now, again, y'all do pretty good at that, but, but I just want to encourage y'all to keep doing that. Trust leadership, don't complain to leadership. That doesn't mean don't discuss that doesn't mean don't question. Again, we're under shepherds, not the chief shepherd. We make mistakes. If you have questions, ask questions. That's totally fine. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying don't complain when things don't go your way. And that's one of the best ways that you can show your uh, appreciation. All right, last one real quick. First one is we're called to shepherd the flock. Second, we're called to watch over the flock. And third, pastors and leaders are called to equip the flock. There's this great misconception uh, in some churches, that it's the, the pastor's job to do ministry and it's the congregation's job to write the check, right? The congregation, their job isn't to do anything. Their job is to receive ministry and they write a check for the pastors and the ministers and the leaders to be the ones to do the ministry. If that's what you think, I'm so sorry to burst your bubble, but that's not the way the Bible describes it. The Bible doesn't describe that the pastors and leaders do ministry on behalf of the congregation. The Bible actually describes that pastors and leaders are meant to equip the conversation to do ministry for themselves. That we're all called to do ministry. Ephesians 4 says this. Verse 11 says, And he, Jesus, gave, uh, himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints, that's you guys, for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So again, if this verse is true, what it means is, is that pastors and leaders aren't here to do ministry on your behalf. Pastors and leaders are here to help equip you and to train you for y'all to do ministry for yourselves. That's how it works. And what that means is, is that the church isn't a circus. Everyone been to a circus, right? You pay some money. There's some really talented people that go uh, do a bunch of tricks on the inside. You're entertained, you clap, and you go home, right? That's not the church. Church isn't a circus. The church is more like a military base where, where you're the troops and you come together and you coordinate and you unify and you strategize and, and you work together to go out and fight the fight. And will you hire leaders? Absolutely. But you're not hiring leaders to go fight the fight for you. You're hiring leaders to help strategize and coordinate you together and train you so that way that you can do your job better. And that's what the church is. We hire pastors and leaders not to go do the work, but to help train the congregation to do the work. 
That's what the Bible calls or says that one of the main jobs of the pastor and leaders are to do. So how can you show your appreciation in regards to that role? It's simple. Serve in ministry. The staff spends an enormous amount of time during our week coordinating uh, volunteers, training volunteers, looking at the schedules and making sure there's uh, enough people to, to operate the nursery and the, the kids' ministry and the student ministry and the welcome team and the media and uh, all the different stuff. We spend an enormous amount of time. And you know what would make the staff's day is if you say, hey, can I serve? Hey, can you throw me down? I'm a willing participant. I want to be equipped to do ministry. Point me in the right direction. The hope of the staff is to not be a one-man band and running around like crazy. The hope of the staff is that, way, is that we might be able to fulfill one of our main roles in equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. So you want to show appreciation, you want to partner with the leaders, that's the best way to do it. One last thing, and, uh, and we'll be done. Um, I tell you, I am so fortunate uh, to be here. I hope none of this was considered an attack, because it's not. Um, Y'all are so great. When I first came here, I was blown away at how little animosity there was among the congregation and how well the congregation worked with the leadership and how little issues there were. There were issues. There's issues in every church. You know what they say? Like, if you find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it. Um, there's issues. Every church has issues because we're imperfect. But comparative, compared to what I've been a part of, the, the issues here were so mild. Just for example, the church I was at before here when I was in college, um, I was doing the music for it, and there was a lady um, who started a petition to get me fired uh, because she didn't like the music. Uh, she got all of one signature, uh, and it worked out. Her name was Delilah. Such a sweet name for such a not sweet lady. Um, what was I talking about? Um, anyways, another story for another day. So when I came here, I was just floored that I'm like, I remember uh, Blake, if y'all remember him, Blake was the worship leader here. And I was like, y'all don't fight about the music? Like, is that normal? I was just kind of like shocked at what was going on here. And, and there's a reason that I stayed here and I've been here for over 10 years. And that's because this congregation does so well in working together with the leadership of the church. And um, man, I just want to encourage y'all, keep that up. Keep doing that. Because uh, so many churches, it's congregation against the leadership or leadership against the congregation. And that's not what God wants for his church. What God wants for his church is not for the leadership and the membership to be against each other. It's for the leadership and the membership to come together to fulfill the purposes that God has for his church. So keep it up. Let's keep moving. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you, God, for your church. And I thank you that you give us the wonderful privilege to be part of it. That you could have chosen to save humanity in any way that you saw fit, but you gave us the opportunity to, opportunity to be part of it. And so, God, I pray that we would not take that lightly, that whether we're a leader here in the church, whether we're a pastor here in the church, whether we're just a, a congregation member here in the church, 
that we would understand that we all have our part and we all have our role as we come together to unify into the body of Christ. And as your word says, that, that we wouldn't be at odds with the other parts of the body of Christ, but rather we would work together in unity, fulfilling the purposes that you called us to. I pray that our sights would be set on the objective, and that's furthering your kingdom for your glory. We're going to move into a time of invitation and really this time is just an opportunity for you to respond in however God is calling you to. I know this sermon's a little bit different in the application, but maybe what God is calling you to do is just take some time and just pray for the leaders that God has placed in this church. That you that maybe you just want to pray for their families. That their families aren't negatively impacted by their ministry. Maybe you just want to pray for their stress levels and as they make decisions that, that they wouldn't be burdened by the weight of responsibility, but, but are able to lead with joy and willingness and not out of compulsion and grief. Maybe you want to pray for them that, that even though they're leaders here at the church, that they can still be part of the church and have community in the church and that they won't feel lonely and isolated. Maybe you can pray that, that they um, seek out God's will and that they keep God at the forefront of all that they do to the glory of his name. However God is calling you to move and respond, this is just your chance to do that. Can we all stand up together? We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And however God is calling you to move, do something.